the volume. Hey guys, it's the sessions presented by FanDuel. The Super Bowl is here, and there's no better place to get in on the action than with FanDuel. FanDuel has awesome exclusive Super Bowl offers for both new and existing users. There's going to be tons of different bets and new markets available for the game. You can combine multiple bets into a same game parlay, and you can continue to jump in on the action at any time with the live betting. And when you win, you get paid fast. Download the FanDuel app today and start making every moment more during Super Bowl 57. Disclaimer, 21 plus in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG for Colorado, Iowa, Minneapolis, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Virginia, and Ohio. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 for Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT for Indiana. Visit ksgamblinghelp.com for Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana. Visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org for Maryland. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY for New York. 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia. Wheeler Utah, Wheeler Utah, Wheeler, Wheeler Utah is on the sessions today. This guy is a saint. Here's why I love Wheeler Utah. I mean, yes, as a professional wrestler, I could rattle off a couple different things. What I loved was my big takeaway from this interview that he is both polite and on time. So I know I feel like I've preached this before that professional wrestlers are pretty much always on time. Um, There's something in their makeup that I love. Me and Emilio got into this on the podcast recently about how being late is such bullshit. That's how I feel about it anyways. Uh, But Wheeler isn't necessarily on time because he's a professional wrestler, because his father was in the Navy as a master chief. And that has just been ingrained into his uh, his genetic makeup as a human being. But there's also the politeness aspect that comes with him. His mom really hammered that one home. So we really we get into all of the, the different things of being raised by a master chief in the Navy, his mother from Japan, uh, keeping that heritage alive in their family and, and whatnot. But it's just a really cool conversation with him, uh, just about who he is as a person and plenty of steel drum talk. So guys, without further ado, let's get into it. This is Wheeler Yuta. Um, first of all, thank you for joining me on the show. I appreciate you taking the time. I know you're a busy man. We were supposed to do it a couple days ago and you got like screwed travel wise. Isn't that the worst? It is the worst. I spent a nice fun day in Dayton, Ohio, but it was all good. It's funny. I get like residual stress when you had texted me and you're like, well, we had to deplane and now we're getting back on the plane. I'm like, oh my God, like that is my truest nightmare. Are you at that point traveling already where you're like, F these delays. I don't want to get off the plane. All that shebang. Yeah, that's the first time I've ever had like I got on the plane and then had to deplane. Actually, I felt so bad. I was traveling with uh, Marina Shafir and she was connecting through Philly. So she had to like completely rebook everything. Like she took a taxi to Columbus and then had to get on a Yeah, like connected somewhere else. Like, yeah, it was crazy. A taxi to Columbus would have been like a couple hundred dollars. I think American paid for it. Oh, okay. Well, that's not so bad, but oh my God, the things we have to do. I was actually reading this morning 
there was a flight in Austin because it was like travel issues in Texas, which were in Texas next week, the week after that. I'm like, what happened in Texas? I know they've got like freezing happening there. But in Austin, like a FedEx plane was landing, was clear to them, but they had like really heavy fog. As a Southwest flight was taking off, they almost fucking collided. Oh my God. This is my worst nightmare. <laughs> I know. <laughs> As like, I'm already like a little bit of an anxious flyer. I'm like, I should not be. Anytime I see news like that, I need to put on like a quality filter of what news I am reading and what is fed to me because I just don't need that in my life. Yeah. Orange Cassidy told me, I think it was Orange Cassidy told me that one time his plane was landing and they they said before, they're like, the weather's really bad. We're going to try to land. If I can see the runway, we'll land. If not, we're just going to pull back up. Oh, and they my landed. God. It was fine. But I was like, don't tell me that. Like, just, just try it and see what happens. When we had the pay-per-view in Jersey and we had Nora with us, we were landing in New York. And we were like, I had turned my phone on because we were like nearly on the ground. And we pulled right back up. I was like, oh, this isn't fucking good. I've got like, as Nora's like, get me off this plane. And I'm also feeling that way. I was like, oh, my God. Buckle up. What a nightmare. Anyways, I digress. So, listen, I'm happy to have you here on the show. It's about goddamn time we did this. I'm pissed that RJ City got you on his show before me. What the hell? Was it a good experience? It was fun. It was it was very interesting. I mean, I, I'm sorry for not doing yours first. I do apologize. I feel like it's, it's very, on me. It's on me. I feel like it's a faux pas on my part as well. We should have both been on it. I feel like we have to have a kinship through Blackpool Combat Club that I get the first right of refusal. Exactly. Yeah, I should have I should have cleared it with you first. You were there. You were at TV. <laughs> I, I was don't. there. <laughs> but no, RJ, RJ's show is fun. It's like such a unique thing compared to like some of the other, you know, AEW, like pro wrestling in general is just so serious. And it's oh my this God. show is a lot of fun to not not be serious at all. It's nice to have a little bit more of that, especially like I know people like they're like wrestling heavy stories and people want the serious side, but it is really cool to get people to open up sort of the way that he does. Anyway, so I did watch the episode because I was like, oh, what did RJ get? What did RJ get out of this interview? Which, of course, leads me to the thing that I really took away was the steel drums. You play the steel drums. How and when did you get into the steel drums? What an interesting instrument to pick up. Yeah, so I got really lucky. Uh, when I was a kid, my elementary school music teacher, he had very recently left teaching music at the University of West Virginia. So he was like very overqualified to be teaching like me in the second grade. But he had this big interest in like world music. What a fall from grace. What happened to that guy? Why did he go from the University of... He was, where, where he was, was tired of it. It was his choice, oh. uh, West Virginia. West Virginia. Yeah. Okay. He was just like, I'm tired of teaching college. He's like, I'm going to go do this play. He played steel drum gigs as well. So he's like, I'm going to go play some steel drum gigs. I'm going to teach at a lower level. And he just taught us. So by the time I was in fourth grade, we had like a steel drum band of fourth graders. Did you guys have a name? What were you guys called? Just the Carolina Forest <laughs> Elementary School <Okay>. Band. <laughs> but uh, what I play now is just like the lead pan, which is like, I guess if in like a regular like four piece band to be like the equivalent of like okay. a singer. But when I was younger, we there's like all different shapes and sizes because a steel drum is just an oil drum. So like the bass is a giant. It's actually six of them, six giant full size oil drums that they just beat the note into. So that's what I played until middle school. And then he was like, if you want to play gigs, you have to switch over to to that. 
So I was like, okay. So then the band, of course, was no more because we all grew up and went to middle school. Uh, so I just started playing by myself. And then that turned into like playing weddings and parties and stuff. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so you were taking on gigs. So were you a solo act or were you working with other people at that point? Uh, once I started doing the gigs, it was all just solo. There was a couple times where I went to go play like with my teacher just to kind of learn how to do it. But after that, I had it was called Band in a Box. So it's like a program that would play like the background music. I would take an iPad and a speaker and then I would play <laughs> the the lead part. And then, that, yeah, that was my my job for a couple summers. What kind of songs would you play? Would you play like songs people know, but just like to or is it like just steel drum specific making some sounds? It was definitely like songs you can know, like for weddings, I would play like just different like classical songs. Like Here Comes the Bride. I play uh, oh my- Cannon, <laughs> like, that kind of stuff. Yeah, there's you think that wrestling is high pressure. There's no more pressure than not fucking up a bride's like oh at the very God. end of the ceremony. Like the first, the first gig I did, like that background music was messing up on me. And I was like terrified that I'm going to ruin this lady's wedding. I'm like How 16. How old were you? Oh, you were 16. Oh yeah, my like, gosh. Super underqualified to be playing weddings. But I was just like, <laughs> oh God, here we go. And then like it wasn't playing and then she kind of looks at me. And then I realized the volume was down because I like faded out when she walked in for some reason. So <laughs> I had to turn it back on and play under the sea because that's what she wanted to leave to. <laughs> so... Yeah, that was that's uh, amazing. <laughs> that's so funny, but it is like a little like as like and now you're what twenty six. Yeah, don't you find it funny being like, who would hire a sixteen year old to play their wedding? <laughs> yeah, no way, no way. Like it was a terrible idea. Like I would get to the point where I'd run like so I would do the the ceremony and then I do the cocktail hour. Like half the time for the cocktail hour, I'd run out of music and start playing the same songs over again. <laughs> Like, I was like, why are Back you hiring to the me? Top. <laughs> yeah. But what I realized it was, is my music teacher, he had too many gigs. Like he couldn't, he couldn't take them all. But what he would do is he would ask for X amount of money. If he didn't want to do a gig, he'd be like, or my student will do it for like half the price. Okay. So I was getting like the people that were willing to take a discount and take a chance on a child to play their uh- way. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take the minor. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Are you still friends with the with your instructor, or your your coach? Yeah, we keep in contact here and then. I haven't heard from him in a, in a little bit, but he got really excited during the pandemic when I was playing steel drum kind of every day. I was posting videos, so if you want to go back on my Twitter and see what we're talking about, there's a lot. Anytime I'm doing like prep for an interview, I'm like, all right, what does Wikipedia have to say? Is there any news things I need to check? And then I skim through social media. You've not posted on Instagram since like September. What is happening on Instagram? Twitter, I'm even on less. I don't know. I think I've just kind of like taken a step back from social media and stuff. But people see me on TV all the time. They know what I'm about. No, but that's not true because the last thing you posted was you losing the pure championship. You have since regained it. Yes, you could have posted that. I'll I'll make a post today. It'll be something of me holding the belt, playing steel drum. I don't know. We'll see. (laughs) Get your cat in the background. Give us just a little menagerie of all things Wheeler Yuta. Yeah, I'll I'll make one of the ones where you like swipe across and there's like five pictures. There you go. A carousel. Carousel us. Is that what it's called? I think so. I think I'll call it. Okay, great. Here's what I've been up to since I lost my pure title. (laughs) Oh, that's so great. Um, Okay. So growing up playing the steel drums, that would have been your first foray into performing. How much did that help set you up 
for what you were going to get into as a professional wrestler. I know there's obviously a bit of a weird correlation, but performing is performing. Did it kind of shake the nerves off? In a way. I mean, I always still get nervous before I wrestle, before I do anything. But it was definitely like the first time where it was kind of like, all right, here you go, sink or swim. It's all up to you. And a solo act like that's terrifying. If you're in a band, you can spread out that pressure a little bit more. And it definitely made me feel more willing to, like, I guess, try stuff. Like, for example, I put Under the Sea, since I brought it up. I would play the melody like once or twice. And then I would just improvise over the background for like two or three times through the song. And then I would end with it. That's a lot like wrestling, where it's just kind of like, you know, you're at that point where you're just, it's all on you. You have to come up with it in your own head. So I think that definitely helped me like work under high pressure situations. But it's definitely easier, I think, to, uh, you know, if you kind of lose the crowd through wrestling, I think it's a lot harder to get them back. If I was playing like the, the actual ceremony, that was like, all right, you better not do not fuck this up. But like the rest of it was kind of like background music. People are dancing. People might be like, oh, what was that? What happened? <laughs> and then you could kind of recover and go back, especially if you're improvising. If you play the same thing twice, it sounds like you meant to do it. It was one of the things I learned. Yeah, it's a little more forgiving. That's true. Yeah. It was definitely like my first kind of like it's sink or swim. Go ahead, figure it out. It's up to you. Don't mess this up. Um, Okay. So we were sitting in John's locker room the other day. The Blackpool Combat Club locker room essentially is what it was that night. And uh, Claudio mentioned something interesting that you have your dad saved in your phone as something unique? What is that? All right. So he finds it really funny that my dad is saved in my phone as Master Chief Dad. (laughs) So my dad was in the Navy. And when he retired from the Navy, he was a Master Chief. What is a Master Chief? Uh, So that's the second highest enlisted rank you can get. So he was uh, an E9. So there's one higher, which is Master Chief Petty Officer of the Navy, which there's only one of. So he got under that. Uh, He was like the chief of boat in uh, Japan for a while. That's like how he met my mom and stuff. But up until ninth grade, he was just dad. And then I took his ROTC class where everyone is calling him Master Chief. I'm a dumbass. What is ROTC? My, My dad taught like junior ROTC, which is like a high school class. It's basically like Navy class. Once a week, you have to wear your uniform all day. You do like PT, like physical training. And then two days a week is in the classroom. And then if you do ROTC in college, then those kids actually go into the Navy. Like they become officers in the Navy or whatever branch they go to. But this was the junior version in high school, just to like try it out. So everyone had to call him Master Chief. I just kept calling him dad. And one day he like sat me down. He's like, uh, hey, bud, you, you can't keep calling me dad in class. It's like, okay. So then... I started calling him Master Chief, but then I called him Master Chief at home a couple times. And he's like, you don't have to call me Master Chief. Like, stop it. Uh, So then eventually at home and at school, I just started calling him Master Chief Dad. Okay, so I have a lot of questions about this. One, how come you didn't go? You did not go into the Navy, obviously, but like what made you not do that? Honestly, I think pro wrestling. I think when I was younger, I always thought that I was going to probably go into the Navy at some point. I think my dad's biggest dream would have been if I had gone to the Naval Academy and then gone in and be an officer. Of course, he loves that I do the wrestling stuff. But I think if he had his way when I was younger, that's where he would have pushed me to. But that's, yeah, I always considered like going into the Navy. Like my dad was in the Navy. My uncle was in the Navy. So that was kind of something I had in the back of my head. But I just knew that I wanted to wrestle. So that was always first. What is it like being raised by 
a man of like that stature and what I can imagine comes with somebody um, with with the training of being in the Navy and the um, the discipline. What was that like growing up like that? Was he very disciplined at home? There was definitely some things that you could tell were like very specific from his like military stuff. Like if he told us, hey, we're going to leave at 9 a.m. If I was there at like 905. His favorite thing would be like, hey, bud, when I say 9 a.m., that means when the big hand is on the 12 and the little hand is on the 9. Like, you'd explain to me how clocks work. Like, all right, Dad, I'm sorry. I would like you to say that for the people in the back, a.k.a. Emilio, because I have no time for tardiness. I think it's such bullshit, so I'm glad that your dad, like, really hammered this home. I'm going to have to do the same thing for my daughter, because being late is bullshit. Right, and that was, yeah, always his biggest pet peeve. He would be like, it means you don't respect me, you don't respect my time. Yes, (laughs) I'm with him. Yeah, (laughs) but now, now, like... When people are a little bit late, I'm always like, uh, when the big hand hits 12, <laughs> that's what I always think about. <laughs> yes. but, uh, but other than like that, and there, there are definitely a couple other things. Like if I wasn't keeping my head straight around the house and like doing the right thing, he would definitely lay into me a little bit. But it was also funny because everyone at school, like by the time I got to high school, like everyone there was really scared of him. And I was always just like, oh, that's just dad. But it's like, I, like I see the angry side, but I have also seen the soft side, you know, just at home with our, my mom and our dog and my sister. So it's like I, very different at times, but it was fun to see the like both sides of, it, I guess. It's funny. I get that with John a lot where so many people are like, oh my God, like the amount of times I have to tell John that I'm like, yeah, this person said they were like a little terrified of you. He's like, I don't understand. Why do people say that? I'm like, dude, you can give off a vibe of like, don't fucking talk to me, which he's great at. But then I'm so used to him just being like my husband and the father of my child and with our animals. Yeah, it's funny to be able to see both sides of somebody that other people fear. Like, come on. He's fine. He's fine. Um, what's your mom like? Uh, she's just very, very not military at all. Very, very different <laughs> from her dad. Yeah. <laughs> she's always like the calming, the soft presence, I guess. But yeah, she's always been a nice counterbalance, I think, to to my dad. But I mean, like when it comes to, uh, you know, if she feels like I'm messing up, she'll, she will not mince words when it comes to telling me that. Good. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, did you spend much time in Japan? Did you go over there with your mom much? Um, so I only actually went over once when I was a kid. So my dad was stationed in Japan. Uh, my sister was born there. But then by the time I came around, he was on his like last last stop, which was actually in Hawaii. I think they kind of gave that to him. It's like, uh, enjoy your, enjoy your last couple of years in the Navy. Oh, that's nice. Were you in Hawaii? I was, yeah, that's actually where I was born. But then I, uh, he retired pretty shortly after I was born. So back to Philly, you go back to Philly. We go. <laughs> Are you guys Philly proper? Like in like downtown Philly? He is from Philly originally. Um, actually when he got that, uh, ROTC teaching job, that was in South Carolina. So that's where I, that's where I lived when I was a kid. But then uh, when I was an adult, moved back up here because this is where all like my aunts and uncles and grandparents are from and everything. So, um, OK, so you didn't go into the Navy. You went into professional wrestling. Um, what was the little like twinkle in your eye that lured you over there instead of this life in the Navy? Just ever since I was a little kid, like wrestling just it was so big, so larger than life. It was just so much fun to, to watch. The way I was introduced to it was like my cousins showed me 
like a video game one day. And I was like, wow, this video game is awesome. And they're like, you know, like real people do this. No, I didn't. So then they, they showed me whatever wrestling was on TV that night. And then just ever since then, I was hooked. It was always kind of like uh, my, it was like my thing. It was like my escape. Like everyone else kind of looked down on wrestling at the time or just made fun of me for being a wrestling fan. So it was always like, this is my, my thing just for me. And then uh, when I got a little older and started training, I was like, oh, wow, I'm actually not bad at this. So then it became something that I pursued. And, uh, you know, I actually went like part of moving back to Philly. Like I picked a college in Philly because I thought that independence would be better. And then I never left. As the pure champion, I mean, you look at the guys that have held that title before, AJ Styles, Nigel McGuinness, Samoa Joe, Jay Lethal. Um, for you to be in that company now on your second reign as the pure champion, um, just of the things that you've been able to accomplish in your career in like a pretty short amount of time. It's pretty impressive. What does it mean to you to hold that title? Definitely means a lot to be like the, actually, I'm the only person who's held it twice. Um, it means a lot to kind of be able to take that, take that forward, like that division and that style forward. It's something that I always really enjoyed, like getting back to basics and having this very unique rule set that it can be a hindrance if you don't know how to use it and how to play with it, or it can really help you with matches and it can make the matches more interesting. You know, like if you use all the rope breaks and then someone gets submitted in the ropes, that's a kind of finish that you can't have in any other match. So it's really cool to me to be able to kind of play with that and take it forward. And then also just like on a personal note, I sort of thought that I would never get to have the title. I was in, I was in ring of honor during the pandemic. My debut was actually their one of their closed tapings. So I never got to be in front of a crowd in my first run in ring of honor. And then, you know, I had, I was in the pure title tournament. I lost career kind of moved on. I went to AEW and I was like, Oh, that's a little sad. Like I canceled my last ring of honor booking. That would have been my only one with a crowd in Philly. That would have been cool. Like I felt like I really missed out on a lot of things in Ring of Honor for a company that I was such a fan of. So then for the way that it all worked out for Tony to now own it and for me to be able to go back and do it again, it means a lot that I get to kind of bring it full circle. Which brings me to Daniel Garcia, that son of a bitch. (laughs) You guys tore it up at death before Dishonor. You guys just had such a great match. How do you feel about that match now looking back at it? Yeah, I really, I really enjoyed that match. Anytime I get to get in there with Garcia, I think that, I think that we're very similar wrestlers. There's two ways you can have a really good match. It's either you're very similar or you're so far different that it's like unique in that way. But I think that we are just so very similar. Like the first time we wrestled was like on the independence. I got there an hour before the show and then we wrestled for an hour. We're just such like good foils against each other that it's, it's really fun. And the same time, like, it's fun to have to come up with, like, creative stuff. Like, this is the fourth time that we've wrestled. So it's like, all right, how can we make it different? How can we have a slightly different match than we've had before, but still give the fans all the things that they wanted? So being able to have that match was really fun. And it was awesome to do it on, like, such a big stage. Like, being able to have these matches on pay-per-view, on Dynamite has been awesome. I think that he and I both thought we would be able to do one day, but I don't think we thought it would be so soon. Okay, so you joining Blackpool Combat Club, um, what all kind of went into you being recruited by them, so to speak? Because I do feel like there was a bit of a conversation, not I don't know if there was a conversation, but it was like, Yuda's a guy, Garcia's a guy, like there was a, there was a sort of like, yeah, he's kind of checking out to see who this next crop of guys are going to be, um, and for it to be you to join guys like Brian Danielson, like John Moxley, Claudio Castagnoli, William Regal when he was there. 
and to have that match with John when you guys beat the absolute shit out of each other. Oh my God. Sorry about uh, for you to, you know what? It happens. But uh, yeah, for you to be able to join guys like that and now move into whatever this next version of your career is going to look like. To be able to be with those guys is just such a blessing. To be able to have such good mentors and in different ways too. Like they all have like similar philosophies, but they all have like just a slightly different perspective as to how they look at it. I can get very like get different advice from John than from Brian than from Claudio, but it's all such good, helpful stuff. And it's just finding the stuff that works for me. But I, I feel like when like we started sort of telling the story of me joining the Blackpool Combat Club, it felt to me at least, I don't know about them. To me, it felt like real. Like I really did feel like, all right, I have to prove myself. Like if I go into these matches and I had a vague idea of where I was going, but no one had given me like the definitive, like this is going to happen. I felt like when we're having these matches, I'm like, if I don't bring it, if I don't really prove myself to these guys, like they're not going to want me in their group. They're not going to want to be tied to me for the next however long, however many years. Blackpool Combat Club's forever, baby. Exactly. It's for life. I was like, I've got to really make sure that I, I do actually earn my place here. And obviously you're fired up for every match, but that was some of the most like fired up I think I've ever been for, for a wrestler. It's interesting because I guess to that point, it's not like creative is blocked out for months and months in advance. Things change. So there really could have been that more pressure added of like, well, shit, if this doesn't go well, we might just move in a different direction. Yeah, I found out about the Brian and the John match on the day of. So I was oh my like, God. all right, I really have to, like, <laughs> as soon as I, like, I found out about it, I was like, I flip the switch. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> like for the Brian match, like my parents were there and I was like, oh, it'll be nice. I'll probably have like a nice match. See my parents. It'll be great. And I was like, oh no, this is all right. This is the biggest match I've had so far. All right, let's go. Let's turn it on. Yeah. And I mean, those like hard hitting matches, is it hard for your parents to watch you in matches like that where it's like, oh, you can hear that. You can hear it and you can like residually feel those strikes. It's definitely hard, especially for my mom. Uh, she still has not watched me versus John. I told her not to. I was like, you, you, you won't like it. Just just don't watch it. You know what happens. <laughs> you get it. <laughs> um, speaking of John, how about walking out to the ring with his dad in Dayton? That was that awesome. <laughs> it was so funny because there is like, we're, we're in the elevator. We're all going upstairs. And John goes to his dad and he goes, just look mean. So as soon as we get out of the elevator and then someone was like, Hey, fans can see us once we get out of the elevator. So as soon as we get out of the elevator, he just thousand yards. Like, would I tried to talk to him? Not talk. Just, yes. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh-huh. And then as soon as we get to the back, he's like, "Oh, thanks, dude." And it was like very nice to me. But before he was just game face on. He's like, "My son's got a fight, and I'm going to be there for him." But- I got to rise to the occasion and don't fall down the stairs. That was the biggest thing. Do not fall down the stairs. Oh my god, so funny. This year, the only app you need at your Super Bowl party is FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Download FanDuel now and use the promo code Renee, R-E-N-E-E, so that you can bet Super Bowl 57 with a no-sweat first bet. You'll get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. FanDuel lets you bet on everything from the money line to point spreads to who will score a touchdown. Now, all of that is on the top-rated sports app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Best of all, you can get paid your winnings instantly. So join FanDuel today with the promo code Renee, R-E-N-E-E, to claim your no-sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. 
Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Disclaimer, 21 plus in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. That's that expire 14 days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, Iowa, Minneapolis, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Virginia, and Ohio. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 for Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT for Indiana. Visit ksgamblinghelp.com for Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana. Visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org for Maryland. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY for New York. 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia. What is the best piece of advice you've gotten from one of the guys in Blackpool Combat Club? Or something you've learned just being able to watch how they work and how they operate? This, this would be from Regal, but I think it's kind of overall encompasses all of the story or like all of the lessons, I guess, that I've gotten. It's just it's always a mindset that you are a trained fighter and you're going out there to hurt the other person. I think that every other piece of advice I've gotten and they've all been awesome and they've all been very helpful, but I think they all fall kind of under that umbrella, you know, whether it be like tightening up pins or just making sure that certain strikes look good. Um, Brian shows me a lot of like really good grappling stuff that all comes from like legitimate grappling. So all, all of those things I think tie into like, remember what the mindset is, remember what you're here for before when I was in the best friends, you know, the, the goal is kind of, you know, bring some levity, bring some entertainment. It's like, that's not what you're doing anymore. You are now here to fight and you're here to win. So I think that that was the piece that sort of changed everything for me. How hard was it to make that switch mentally? Because, I mean, working with guys like the best friends, yes, they're super entertaining. All those guys really are great wrestlers, but it's such a different vibe from what you guys do in Blackpool Combat Club. Was it how long did it take you to kind of like mentally switch gears? Yeah, I mean, there's still things where I'm still, I think, trying to kind of refine and make sure that it's less of, you know, like you said, that entertainment aspect and more of just direct pro wrestling. I mean, it's I think it's still sort of ongoing, but it definitely took a couple weeks, a couple months even. And then just a lot of like just trying stuff out. Like, I think that I would have like matches where I would do everything kind of the way that, you know, we should with the Blackpool Combat Club. And then there'd be like one weird thing where it'd be like, all right, maybe I shouldn't have. You know, an old thing I used to do is like I'd stand on the second rope, fake the guy out, have them duck and then climb up to the top. It's like, hey, maybe we maybe we cut that one or something like that. It definitely took a while to kind of readjust like my offensive attack and less elusive and more of just attacking. Yeah, yeah. Get on them. Make it happen. Hit them. Get them. Punch them. Uh, working with New Japan, doing best of the Super Juniors. What was that experience like for you to be able to work there with them? That was really awesome. Being able to go back to Japan. Like I only got to go once when I was a kid. Some of your family's still there? Yeah. Did you get to see them? Uh, yeah, I got to drop in a little bit with my uncle. He was pretty sick at the time. So I didn't really get to spend too much time with him. But it was really nice to be able to go over there and just live in Japan for, for that amount of time. And everyone on the crew was so nice. Just the wrestling was so much fun. The wrestling was so much more frequent than it is here. Like here we usually do once a week. And then if you pick up an independent on the weekend, that's cool. But there is like three times a week minimum. It was a lot of wrestling crammed into to not a lot of time. So I feel like I grew just as a wrestler, but then as a human being as well, being able to live over there. Yeah. And like you said, too, it's like, God, to be able to go over there and just to reconnect with that side of who you are and that side of your family. Um, what were some of the things that 
in Japan that, that you just got to like really indulge in or learn a little bit more about or just to be able to reconnect with? In America, a lot of the only connections you can get is like the food. So being able to think of the foods that like my mom has made before, like she made like tonkatsu and then I got to go, which is it's deep fried like pork cutlet. And then I got to go to like El Desperado's family has a uh, tonkatsu restaurant. So like getting to go there and like taste how, how it's like made in Japan, it was so awesome, like to be able to go do that. And then just like, it felt cool to be like getting around on like the trains and stuff. Just like by the end of the tour, I was like, all right, I know how to take the train to get to like the gym and I can get to the grocery store and all that stuff. And like the same train my uncle's on every day to go to work in Tokyo. And it was, it was really cool to be able to kind of reconnect and do all that stuff. Who did you find out that you were as a wrestler in New Japan? I feel like a lot of guys really kind of use New Japan as that that bar to kind of set of like, who are you? How does your style change? How can you fit into that style that they're wrestling over there? And like you said, wrestling a minimum of three times a week. It's a different pace, all that. What did you find out about yourself over there as a wrestler? It was really fun because like everything's very straightforward so that was like right after i joined you know the blackpool combat club so it's a lot of what i was saying about you know like things in the the best friends we would do like sometimes they're like a little bit overly complicated or it's just very like elusive funny haha stuff like not saying not saying that they can't get down and wrestle when it's time to do that but it's a very like different structure i guess and then in japan it was very much just like all right straightforward go 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 so it was definitely different to like try different moves out, try different holds and submissions. Like I really feel like I kind of refined a lot of the stuff that I would do in the ring as a member of the Blackpool Combat Club. I got to try out finishing holds. Like I tried Brian's like cattle mutilation for a while. Realized that that one was not for me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think that New Japan really it tested me just like mental toughness wise. Like. So much endurance, like you just have to keep going. The matches are so much longer a lot of the times and there's so many more of them. It was just like, are you tough enough to handle this kind of? And I feel like it showed me I was. Do you want to do more stuff in New Japan? Do you want to do like a G1, something like that? Yeah, I'd love to. I definitely need to put on some pounds to to do the G1. Uh, <laughs> but I'd love to do Super Juniors again. I'd love to one day do the G1. Like those tournaments are so grueling, but they're such a fun way to really test yourself. When I was there, I faced so many different kind of wrestlers, like L. Lindemann's like a short, stocky, more of a amateur wrestler type shooter guy. And then you'd face like El Desperado, who can do a little bit of that, but he can also get a little bit more violent, a little bit more hardcore. And then you would face guys like Robbie Eagles, who are just like awesome high flyers. Like there's such a different, like you have to wrestle everyone because it's a round robin tournament. So it was so much fun to just kind of see how different things would interact with these different characters. So why Yuda? How did you land on the name Yuda? Where did that come? Or not Yuda, sorry, the Wheeler aspect of it. Because you've had many different names as you've been wrestling. Where did Wheeler come from? I'll start with the the Yuda because that was the one I picked. When I was a kid, there was not many Japanese people in South Carolina. Uh, but I had one friend in the first grade whose name was Yuta. So I just kind of stole his name. Oh, I love that. To be That's cool. I always liked his name. So I just kind of stole it. <laughs> um, so if you're out there, bud, thank you. Um, That's so cool. My original idea was I was just going to make it like one name. Like it was going to be like Kenta or something. Like all caps, one name. But at the time I was training in Philly with uh, Drew Gulak. And he 
was really set on like, you should have a first name and a last name. One day I woke up and I had like three texts in a row, like two minutes apart each. And the first text was, what do you think about the name Wheeler? And then two minutes later, congratulations, your new name is Wheeler. I didn't have much of a choice. At first, I didn't like it, but now I love it. I think it's unique. No one else has this kind of name. So I I enjoy it a lot. That's funny. I didn't really think about, I mean, what you were just saying earlier, where you got the Yuta from growing up in South Carolina and not having a lot of Japanese people around you, because I assumed that you had always been in Philly. And now, yeah, what was that like growing up in South Carolina as like one of the few Japanese families? It was definitely different, you know, something that when I met someone, that would be like one of the first things, you know, you start talking about. But uh, yeah, it was it was just tough, I think, especially for my mom to try to like she had like a small group of Japanese friends um, in the area. So then I would kind of meet them and we'd share the culture a little bit. But especially as I got older, like a lot of those people moved away and it was just kind of being raised as an American. So that was something I kind of. Uh, I guess, lamented when I was getting a little older. And I was like, oh, man, I really wish that I had more of a connection. And a lot of that was my fault as a kid, you know, not really taking as much interest. But when you're like 12, you know, you're the only person around. You're like, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it was definitely not a lot of people that looked like me. But then, of course, as I get get older and move up, move up north, you definitely see a lot more uh, Asian people around in Philadelphia now that I live here. Yeah, that's why I was like, oh, in Philly, that wouldn't have been a thing. In South Carolina, that's a different story. That's a totally different ball game of like what you're growing up with. What were what were some of the things um, with your culture that that your mom and those women were kind of making sure that you and maybe their kids were familiar with? There was always just like little like politeness things. Like we would always uh, say itadakimasu, which is like grace before your meal. It's like thank you for this meal. Kosovo-sama uh, is like you say it after, like thank you for the meal. Um, whenever I would leave the house, um, and then my mom would say, which means like, I'm leaving and be like, all right, be safe coming back. And then when we, when we get back, it would be like, just different. Like she would always keep like little Japanese words in there to try to make sure that we had it. So you're polite and on time. What a winner. I love it. (laughs) Oh, and full circle going back to, uh, my music teacher, he was also very interested in taiko drums, which is a form of like traditional Japanese drumming. So I got to do that up until like okay. middle school. So that was another fun oh, way to kind of cool. keep, keep with the culture. How much Japanese can you speak? I know you were saying because what uh, John had got Claudio a T-shirt that said wrestling and coffee, but you were reading the writing on it to make sure that that's actually what. So do you, you do have like, you know, comprehension to a degree of like reading, writing. Very basic. Very basic. Like I, I actually took Japanese for like a year in college and then a lot of that's gone. So I tried. How was it for your mom to learn English? It always blows my mind when people come from another country and have to learn English. English has got to be the hardest language to learn. I would agree, but she had actually studied it in school. Like when she met my dad, she was working at like the English speaking high school on the base. So she, she had already known it from when she was younger. She told me she learned through TV. Like she used to watch Starsky and Hutch all the time. <laughs> that was her show to learn English. <laughs> so, uh, that's yeah. great. I love that. Um, okay. So back to some more wrestling things. Who do you want to be as a wrestler? What do you want your career to look like? If you were able to kind of like just do some of your own booking, who you're going to be, what kind of matches you want to have, what the legacy would be that Wheeler Yuta is going to leave. What's that going to be? Not to make too loaded of a question. 
I was going to say, this is probably the most loaded question. Um, I don't know. I, I really think that a lot of times I kind of look into myself and it's less about like what, what I like to be world champion. Yes. Like what I love the main event, like double or nothing, like what I love to main event, all these shows. Absolutely. But I think personally for me, I just want to feel like I got to accomplish everything, being able to have like all these little things that I can kind of check off my list, like being able to go do super juniors is something I can check off lists. Like, Oh, I did it. Being able to have the ring of honor pure title and sort of bring that division forward. That's something that I can check off. Like I want to be able to have all these different kinds of matches. Like I want to be able to have like a no rope barbed wire. Like I want to be able to have another big ladder match. Like I, I just want to leave all these kind of memories, I guess, for people, because I, when I think about the wrestlers that I liked from before, I think about like these moments that they gave me. And I guess I just want to give that to the next generation. If I were to kind of narrow it down, I think that right now, because I'm the pure champion, I'd really like to help shape whatever that division becomes and sort of bring that forward. So when people talk about the pure title, I want them to talk about me. But I think that a lot of it is kind of personal fulfillment of, I want to do this, I want to do this, and just be say that I did everything. Like when I walk away from wrestling, I don't want to be like, oh, I wish I had had this ladder match, or oh, I wish I had had this... Uh, this Iron Man match or something like that. So I want to be able to sort of say that I did it all, which I know is a very lofty goal. Yes, it is. But at the same time, I think in the world that we live and being able to work with AEW and, and really having all these opportunities in front of you, the fact that you do get to, you are the Ring of Honor pure champion. You didn't think that you were going to be working Ring of Honor. And now here you are still as a champion of Ring of Honor. To having these matches in AEW, to being able to go work Super Juniors, working with New Japan, I do think that you do have to make that list to check it off because I think you can actually probably accomplish a bunch of it. And you're young. You've got time on your side as well. Um, who else do you think would be a really great foil for you other than Garcia? Um, I've said this before, but uh, Lee Moriarty, I'd really like to have some more matches with him. Like I'd like to have some in AEW or Ring of Honor. We wrestled a lot on the independents, and I always feel like his style was very technical, very map-based the way the mine is. So a lot of a lot of similar ways that me and Garcia can have very good matches. I think me and Lee can. I think the difference between me and Garcia versus me and Lee is with Garcia, a lot of times just kind of breaks down into a fight. <laughs> yeah. I think that with Lee, it could be a lot more technical, a lot more uh, exchanging holds and stuff. But I don't know. With, with him in the firm, who knows? Who knows where it'll end up? Who can say what's going on with those guys? Um, okay, so to wrap it up with you, something completely unrelated to wrestling, well, depending on what your answer is, what does an off day look like for you? What do you do when you have time for you? You know, I have obviously the the wrestler things of like go to the gym, tan, that stuff. Uh, but I've been really getting into baseball recently. Lots of baseball. The Phillies were in the World Series this year and they that was very exciting. Um, I've got my, bought this at the park. I got my Phillies cup uh, right here. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I've been doing a lot of baseball. I've been actually playing pickup baseball sometimes on the weekends. So that's been fun. Uh, but yeah, I guess my off day is just a lot of hanging out with uh, my girlfriend, my cat. And some steel drum when I can, but now I have an apartment with a lot of people. So it's a little tough. You know what? F it. When I used to live in an apartment, I'd be like, it's just going to be loud and they're just going to have to deal with it. It is what it is. As long as you're doing it within reasonable hours, I think it's fine. It's fine. When I was a kid, I used to practice with like McDonald's straws so that my sister could study. So I, I could do that. You pay rent there too. You're allowed to live your life. Um, you and your girlfriend, how long have you guys been together? Six years. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, since college. 
Has she come out to any shows? I don't think I've met her. I don't think I've seen her. Um, I don't think she has since you got there. No. She went to like the cruise last year, like the Jericho cruise. Oh God, what did she think of that? That's being inundated with it. What was her take on the cruise? She had a blast, but she was like, there is so much wrestling going on. Like by the time we got off the boat, she was like, there is so much pro wrestling. This is, this is a lot. (laughs) She's like, I had a blast. All your friends are great, but so much wrestling. (laughs) (laughs) What does she do? Uh, She's a business analyst. Okay, so she's like, listen, I, I was here on the cruise. I got some wrestling, but I'm actually good for a little bit. That's why I've not seen her at a show. She got her fix. Yeah, she got her fix for now. She'll be back around, I'm sure. Well, listen, I'll let you get back to your uh, day. Uh, I appreciate you jumping on here with me. I hope that this was a better experience than what you had with RJ. 100%. Unless he's listening. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, congratulations on everything. Like I said, it's like I really feel like you make that list and you can check off all those things. I think uh, I think there's a, lot of, there's a lot of shit you can get done. We all believe in you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to Wheeler for hanging out with me. If you guys want to see this interview, head on over to YouTube. All of these interviews live over on YouTube. Sometimes you want to see the hang. It's nice to just listen to the hang, but sometimes you want to see it. Pull us up, give us a hang, and subscribe. Hit that subscribe button. Notifications button. Do it all. So yeah, thanks to Wheeler for hanging out. Much appreciated. And thanks to you guys for hanging out with me, too. And we've got some really cool interviews lined up coming up. I mean, of course, we've got, you know, many great professional wrestlers in the queue ready to go to get them on here so I can pick their brains a little bit, but also people from outside the wrestling world, some ones personally I'm super, super excited about. So make sure you stay in the know of all things, the sessions. Um, Until next time, guys, I'll catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye.